I remember my first day at college when I was dropped off. You know, my, my senior year, I'm sure you guys can relate, it's a very busy time. I mean, it's hectic, there's all kinds of stuff going on all year long, and then graduation happens, and good grief, there are, there are parties, there are gifts. I had an amazing summer, I, mean, I worked all summer long, and yet I was still in Kansas, so there were still my friends around and, and not many responsibilities. And then, then came that day in August that I had been waiting for for so long, I packed up my car, and I drove to Lincoln, Illinois, and we, we, there were two of us, two vehicles. There was my vehicle and my youth minister, Rich Carmichael, came along also, and my mom. She wanted to see where I was going. And so we, we drove to college, and, and I had to take Rich with me because he had gone to school there, and so he knew all the procedures. He knew how to get me checked in. He knew how to take care of all of that. So, so uh, Rich came for that. My mom came because... She wanted to make my bed for me. Now, let me tell you something. Those of you who are going on to college, there is nothing that will win you over with upperclassmen like them walking in on the first day and catching your mom making your bed for you. That's, that's just a wonderful thing. You definitely make an impression when that happens. And so mom made my bed. They said goodbye, and I was standing there in the parking lot right next to my dormitory waving goodbye and watching them drive off, and I stood there, and suddenly I realized I was alone in this town. I knew absolutely no one there. I didn't even know where the Walmart was, and all I could think of was, what am I doing as I waved goodbye? To be honest with you, there was an incredible temptation in those next few days to just, to just quit. I remember running into another student uh, it, in, the, in the parking lot, and she said, well, are you new here? I said, yeah, I'm a freshman. She was a freshman, too. And she said, well, are you here for four years? I had a lot of friends who were there for four years and ended up being there for five. You can squeeze a four-year program into five years if you'd work really hard at it. And I said, I don't even know if I'm here for the whole year. So I, I really don't know that I'm going to stick around. It was a scary time. You know, for the previous year and a half, I knew exactly where I wanted to be. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. My guidance counselor had counseled me with guidance and told me, Brett, you need to you need to apply to several different colleges. I said, there's only one college I want to go to. She said, no, no, you have to apply to several. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Well, what if you don't get accepted? I'm like, Come on. <laughs> Who wouldn't accept me, right? And I'd gotten accepted to that one college. I was enrolled, and here I was standing in the parking lot thinking, I cannot do this. And it was sheer force of will that got me through those first long, difficult days when I knew no one and no one knew me. And in that respect, I'm, I'm a little envious of you guys because I've, I've gotten a chance to watch this class. I've gotten a chance to experience some amazing times with this class. You've been through a lot. Parents, 
family, friends. I don't have to tell you, this is an exceptional group of people. They are absolutely amazing. They have endured much. They have grieved together. They have suffered together. They have also overcome together. They have celebrated together. They have prayed together, most importantly. And whether you admit it or not, I know the next few months look scary, but you have laid a foundation in these past years and you have come through stronger and you've come through more capable and ready to face new challenges. And I think the most important thing that, that any of us can realize, whether it's my story or whether it's your story, is it's not a new story. We're not the first people to go through these kind of uh, periods in our lives. And there's others who've gone through the same thing. In fact, there's a story in the Bible that I want to share with you tonight. It's about a young girl named Esther. And Esther had come to one of those, what am I doing here moments. It was a difficult time for the Jewish people. They were in captivity. They were in slavery. Long before there was ever a world war, the Jewish people were nearly wiped off the face of the earth. And they would have been if it weren't for that one girl named Esther who faced her doubts and acted on faith. I'm going to be reading from Esther chapter 4, kind of jumping into the story, verses 12 through 17. If you would like to follow along in those Bibles that are on the pew, in the pews or underneath your seats... Uh, you can follow along. It's on page 412, I believe, in those Bibles. Page 411, excuse me. No, 412. Beginning in verse 12 of Esther chapter 4, Esther had an uncle named Mordecai who took care of her. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Esther didn't want to help out. People were in danger of being wiped out. And Esther wanted to just maintain and, and not, not do anything that might cause her any problems. They told Mordecai what Esther said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that you yourself, to yourself, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather the Jews, all the Jews, to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I think Esther's uncle Mordecai was able to show her something that I want to make sure that you see. And it was just as true for you here in Kansas as it was for Esther, this young girl in Persia. And that is that God has chosen you for this time, and God has chosen this time for you. Now, I am getting older. I am rapidly approaching that age where it is my duty to complain about kids and your loud music and your loud trucks driving down my alley at night and your fashion sense, pull your pants up already. This is a natural age when nature of age and change and the difference between generations. I will soon be starting off every sentence with the words in my day and yelling at kids to get off my lawn. 
And we constantly remind you, of course, of how much harder we had it than you. And the fact is, you're going to face challenges that I could never imagine. You guys are going to face challenges that I could never have imagined facing at your age. You will move into your 20s and 30s with cultural challenges, with world challenges that I could not even begin to imagine. There's a study released this week that said the growing trend in spirituality in America, and spirituality and religion in America, is that rather than identifying with a religion, whether a person would call themselves a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or anything else, or rather than even identifying themselves with a lack of religion, whether a person might call themselves an atheist or an agnostic, more and more people are identifying simply with the word none. What religion are you? None. What beliefs do you have? None. People with no identity when it comes to faith, no identity when it comes to a lack of faith, people who have merely checked out. That's the world you're inheriting. People who don't belong to anything, people who don't believe in anything. It's challenging, but I have to agree with Mordecai, with what he says to Esther in verse 14. Mordecai says to Esther, but you and your father, well, he says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether you've not come to this for such a time as this. When studies are done about your generation, when studies are done about millennials and others, they show that you are seeking genuineness. You uh, are tired of that which is phony and that which is fake. Your parents have wrapped you in plastic and tried to protect you, and as well they should. And yet you're, you're tired of that. You want real, you want raw, you, you want to know what it truly means to live. You have been chosen for this time, and this time has been chosen for you. There's a wonderful little passage in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul says in verse 24, he says of God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. And yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Paul says he has determined the allotted periods and the boundaries. He has determined the times and places. He has determined 2015 for you. He has determined Kansas, Illinois for you. Every moment he has chosen for you because he knows you can handle it. He knows that you can shine in those moments. He's chosen you for this time. And I want you to know there's confidence and power in knowing that. But you can't do it alone. And so like Esther, you also need to know the support of committed friends. I think one of the greatest blessings you've known in your lives has been the support of friends. You've made it through difficult times, not just on your own strength, but relying on each other. And not just your friends, but your community, your churches, your parents, your school, and other people who want the best for you, who believe in the best for you. And while you're moving on, you're always going to have that foundation. You're always going to have those friendships. Esther found herself in a difficult position. Esther had become 
Queen of Persia. Now, Queen of Persia is not like you've seen in fairy tales and Disney movies and things like that. Queen of Persia was, well, it was a contest. It, it, was, it was a beauty pageant. You know, Esther was, it's kind of like America's Got Talent. You know, Esther was Persia's prettiest princess. She won Persia's prettiest princess award, and, and that's how she became queen. Part of Esther's Part of Esther becoming queen was to go through a year-long beauty regimen. For a year, she had to go through beauty regimen. Six months with cosmetics and six months with perfume. A year-long beauty. You think it takes a less so long time to get ready. This was a year of getting ready. And, and, and Esther went through that. Esther's job was to look pretty. That's, that was the job of the queen of Persia. And like everyone else, she was not allowed to approach the king uninvited. To approach the king of Persia uninvited would have cost her her head. And so she asks her uncle for the support and encouragement she needs to take this step of faith and, and do what is forbidden. And in verse 15, she says, she says to, to them to tell, tell Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I think there's two things that, that she does here that we can learn for. First, she called on the support of the people who needed her the most. She tells Mordecai, gather all the Jews, people whose lives would be changed by her decision or her indecision. And second, she called on the support of those who knew her best. She says, I and my young women, uh, the members of her court, in reality, they were those that were closest to her. There's a proverb, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all time and a brother is born from adversity. You guys have been through adversity. You've faced adversity together. You've been challenged together. There are few people in your lives who know what you're capable of better than the people sitting right next to you. There are few people that, that know what you're capable of doing better than the ones who are sitting right there around you. Don't be afraid to make those calls to one another. Don't be afraid to seek the help and support of each other and of your parents and of, say, preachers maybe. I don't know. You haven't just been chosen for this time. You've been chosen together. Like Esther, know that God has chosen you for this time. Like Esther, know the support of committed friends around you. But also like Esther, understand that none of that means anything without submission to God's will for your life. Standing there in that parking lot at Lincoln Christian College that, that first day, alone and lonely and, and plagued by doubt, I had only one thing going for me. And at the same time, I felt very weak, but it was strong enough. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I was exactly where I needed to be. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I can't explain it to you, uh, but I knew that God had called me there. I knew that God was preparing me for, mis for ministry. But it wasn't just something that I knew for myself. I knew it because of my friends, both classmates and, and adults and teachers and others who had encouraged me and told me over and over again, Brett, you can do this. 
This is what you're put here to do. That's what held me on that path in those difficult days. And, and honestly, on some really difficult days that still come, that's, that's what it comes down to. Esther sent word back to Mordecai that she would go to the king. And she says in verse 16, and if I perish, I perish. Don't hear that as resignation. Don't hear that as her giving up. She's not saying, well, I'm probably going to die anyway. So I might as well go see the king. Here it is trust. Here it is courage. It's a very courageous thing. She's saying, this is the way that God is leading me, and I will accept whatever it is that he leads me to. I can't promise you guys an easy life. I can't promise you that everything's going to work out. I can tell you that since that first day in that parking lot, there have been a lot of other days where I've stopped and asked, what am I doing here? <laughs> Difficult days. I've stood by hospital beds when horrible diagnoses were handed out. I have buried dear friends. I have lost many, and, and there's been times when I've felt failure. And yet, I remember those who told me I could do it, those who encouraged me, those who cheered me on, and, and that's enough some days. There's a great scripture in Isaiah that I learned a long time ago. In Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah writes, and he says, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. And as soon as he hears, as soon as God hears, he will answer you. And although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. And with your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. There's going to be times when you'll be thousands of miles away from Kansas when what, in what looks like a completely different world. You will face questions that you never thought you would have had to face growing up here. And yet what you learn here, what you learn from each other, what you learn not just from teachers, but during youth group and during youth lunches will come back to you. Listen to that voice. This is the way. Walk in it. It's been behind you the whole time. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story of Esther. I'm going to leave that to you. You guys don't have anything else to do this week. I expect a book report done by Friday and on my desk. As amazing as, as Esther's story is, and it's an amazing story. It's a hilarious story. As amazing as Esther's story is, I am much more interested in your story. I'm much more interested in your story because, you know, as much as I love the book of Esther, I don't live in Persia. I live in your world. I live in a world where you matter and where you make a difference. And so I'm hoping and trusting in a world where you will make a difference because you have been born for such a time as this. And so when you find yourself standing alone in a parking lot, not knowing who anyone is, or even why you're there, and you find yourself asking, what am I doing here? Just remember, you're, you're never alone. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who has promised to never abandon you. You've got the foundation of amazing friends and a wonderful community that has always got your back. And I, for one, can't wait to see what you do in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, it's, it's been a privilege to, to minister to, to pray with, to minister with, 
and just to know this amazing group of young people. It's been a privilege to, uh, to get to visit with them and laugh with them. And Lord, even those moments when we've cried together, those moments when we've gathered, and, and we didn't know what else to hold on to except for you, your son, and each other. I thank you for the strength that they've given me, and, and I thank you for the opportunities that are ahead for them. Lord, you have called them to this time. You have called them to this place. You have brought them to this season. It's no accident where they are. It's no accident what they've been through. And, and Lord, it is with your perfect plan and your perfect intention that you take them to the next step. I pray, Father, that they will be up to the challenges. I pray that they will recognize your presence. I pray, Father, that they will recognize the love and support that they will always have here uh, with their community, with their friends, with their family. Father, most of all, I remember those words of Jesus. I have come so that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. You might have it fully. I pray, Father, for their relationship with your Son, that they know him as, your Savior, as their Savior and that they know the abundant life that he promises, both here and in the life to come. We love you, Father. Thank you so much for the way you love these kids. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.